Jeff Cobb back with a new edition of the Learning Revolution podcast. I hope you were able to join me for the last episode uh, in which I talked with Michael Stelsner, the founder of Social Media Examiner. We talked about virtual conferences as a business model along with a variety of other topics. If you did not catch that, I encourage you to go to learningrevolution.net and click on the podcast tab where you can get that episode. And you can also see the lineup that we have coming. We're going to be talking to some great people like uh, Leo Babauta of Zen Habits, Alan Weiss, the Million Dollar Consultant, and George Siemens, uh, who has been pivotal in the massive open online course or MOOC movement that is getting so much press these days. Today, I am joined by Dave Will, who is the Chief Executive Peach of Peach New Media. I actually went out looking for examples of community-based learning within the Trade and Professional Association uh, market, and um, not surprisingly, that trail led me back to Dave. So in this interview, we talk about what his company is doing with community-driven learning initiatives, but we also talk about a broad range of, of other topics in the world of learning in general and in the market for lifelong learning. So let's jump into the interview with Dave Will. I'm going to borrow a page from Mitch Joel at the Twist Image podcast today and just say, who are you and what do you do? Hey, Jeff. So my name is Dave Will. I'm the chief executive Peach at Peach New Media. And uh, Peach New Media provides online learning software and services for associations. Uh, so in a nutshell, we have services that help people create and produce their webinars and webcasts and online learning programs, and we have software in the form of a learning management system that helps people produce to, uh, to turn it into cash. Content to cash is basically the theme of our learning management system with All right, well, credit that's a, and online learning. That's, sure. a, that's a perfect theme to be talking to you about then for purposes of, uh, of this podcast and interview. Um, you know, I, I've known you for a while, Dave. We've uh, both been banging around out there in the um, education, learning, and, and technology space and, and helping uh, organizations, uh, you know, trying to have more impact and, and make more money, frankly, at that uh, but, um, you know, I, I know I've seen a, a huge amount change during that time period. I'd be interested to hear from, from your perspective, what do, you, what do you feel like the, the biggest shifts that have occurred in the learning business over the last, you know, say, three to five years? So, yeah, that's interesting. I, I wonder if it's as much as what's changed versus what's, uh, what's been recognized. Mm. And the, the diff- what, what I mean by that is, I'm not sure there's been a, a, a major change in online learning, except I think people are getting to know it better. What I mean by that is it's been evolving. Of course, there's been changes. I don't mean to suggest there hasn't been any changes. Um, the, the changes going from back in the day when it was simply um, uh, teleconferences and teleseminars. Gosh, I remember when it was uh, uh, cassette tapes and, and VHS that we right. were sending out. Uh, and and fortunately, we've moved on to DVDs, and, and I think even people now are starting to say, okay, we don't need any hard media, so a lot of it's going online simply to streaming. Um, of course, uh, webinars have have been the primary um, source of what people refer to as online learning for quite a while. It, that's evolved a little bit into hybrid meetings. Um, where you have people, there's there's folks in person, and, and then there's 
there's folks online somewhere, there may be video, there may not be video. And then that's evolved even further into what we refer to here as a virtual study group, which is a series of events all supported by a community. And I think that's something we'll probably be talking a little bit more about today. But it, those that's the technology evolution. And of course, something you'll hear over and over, and I, I subscribe to as well, is is there's a lot more video in effect mm -hmm. these days. So, so that's the technology evolution. But I, I think there's when I say I think the biggest change is in how are thi how are things being recognized. Well, one example is people are starting to realize that there's a difference between online learning and information transfer. Mm -hmm. And of course, I'm not smart enough to come up with that philosophy myself. This is, comes from John Medina in his book Brain Rules. Uh, but in his book, he talks about the difference between information transfer and true learning. Now, information transfer is just that. In, in a, a webinar, to me, is a classic example of information transfer. Sure, you can ask questions, you can do polling, but at the end of the day, it really is a lecture-oriented session for in transferring information. Online learning, or let me rephrase that, learning is about associating your personal experiences with the information that you're taking in. And so oftentimes that requires a heck of a lot more than just listening. In fact, John Medina would say you can't listen and learn at the same time. So we're realizing, and I think a lot of our uh, the people we work with, a lot of the associations are starting to realize that there's a difference between online learning and information transfer, which actually drills down into one thing that I think is just fascinating, and this is something that I think is relatively new for how people are viewing the market. What are you selling? Are you selling credit or are you selling a learning program? Credit usually is driven by some mandatory credit like CLEs or CMEs, uh, whereas learning is usually driven by some certificate and may come with CMEs and CLEs, but the, the reality is there's different buyers. The consumer for each one of those things is completely different. They need to be marketed different, and they drive a different um, product depending on which one you're selling. And so to me, that's the biggest change right yeah. there is the realization of the market. Yeah, well, a couple of questions there. Um, and one I may, I'll ask now, and I may get back to the other one uh, as we go along. But um, that credit versus you know learning experience distinction, uh, you know, I I found that with a, a lot of uh, online education, you have um, you know these sort of laundry list catalogs that have CE attached to them, um, and it all becomes commoditized very quickly. And I and I and I feel like the whole CE. CME, CLE, CEU, CPE, put your C of choice on there, pretty quickly turns into a commodity and you get a lot of price pressure, you get a lot of competition in markets where, you know, the, uh, the regulatory uh, requirements uh, around that. Whereas a learning experience, to me, feels much harder to turn into a commodity um, and, and potentially has stronger long-term business model potential. What, what are your thoughts on that? I, I could. That's exactly the the point I'm making. I, I agree completely with you. The the commodity is around the credit. Mm -hmm. The learning experience drives a different value, and and I think we've proven with some of the associations we work with that it's a totally different product that that is more difficult to commoditize. The credit itself. I'm I'm looking at a website right now that sells CLEs, and let me look at this. Um, originally at 
nine ninety nine. Now lifetime CLEs for mm-hmm. seven ninety nine. Seven hundred ninety nine for lifetime CLEs. You can't compete with that on the price level. If you're a, a state uh, bar association or um, I mean, if your business is in mm-hmm. producing videos and selling them in this catalog, that's what you're competing with. It's yeah, not I mean, a moneymaker anymore. Yeah, I mean, that's the kind of business model that, um, well, it's kind of Walmart. There's really, there can really only be one dominant, you know, provider of that particular model, it seems like, when, when all is said and done. Um, whereas with these learning experiences, you can really, you can carve out your, your niche and you can be unique. Uh, and what do you see? Yeah, to me, that's the biggest change, Jeff. It's the idea that that people are starting to recognize that they need to c- consider these products almost as a consumer good. How are we selling this thing? Is it a value-based experience or is it a, a commodity? Now, Jeff, there's nothing wrong with selling a commodity. A lot of people make good money and they, they do a good job at selling a commodity. Having said that, it's not all about the money for most of these associations. Most mm-hmm. of these associations are out there not because they want to make a buck, but they're out there because they want to change the world. They want to educate people. They want to make the world a better place centered around their their focus of interest. So yeah, yeah. It, it, neither one of these is better or or more respectable than the other. It's just two different products that are being sold. Yeah, I, I would agree completely with that. It just seems you know when you're in the commodity business, though, the, the competition tends to get tough very quickly um, in, in that business, and uh, and you can see it in how the the the, the organizations and, and companies, commercial interests that, that are active in those sort of commodity markets, how they market is different. There's a lot of discounting. There's a lot of you know that sort of uh, uh, you know cutthroat might be too strong of a word, but but that kind of activity and, and how the marketing takes place. Now, if you're talking about though these more um, you know, relationship-driven, true learning-type uh, initiatives. I mean, what are you seeing? Um, have you seen new, interesting, uh, strong business models uh, emerge around that? Yeah. Um, if you, if, and I'm going to dig back into the comparison of these two things. To your point, it is difficult. It is a it's a challenging market to sell a commodity. I mean, you're looking at low price points, high volume, low mm-hmm. cost production. Mm-hmm. Uh, quality of the production does not matter as much as if you're selling um, a higher value product like what we're talking about now with learning. So but let's, let's go into it that way. So now what does it take to create a real learning experience, a real what, what I refer to oftentimes as a meaningful learning experience? How do you create one of those? Well, First of all, it's gonna it's gonna cost more for the for the consumer, but it's also gonna cost more to produce. Um, it needs to be high quality production. It needs to be there needs to be strong value, and you don't necessarily need to sell this in bulk. This is the kind of thing that you can sell fewer of them and 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 uh, make a margin on it. Mm-hmm. So you're talking about a higher priced, um, a higher quality item as a, and, and a lower production. Um, quantity of them as well. So some of the business models, the, the, the one that goes without saying is people say um, we need to incorporate social media into learning. It, and that's right. very, very high level. So what exactly does that mean? Well, I, I would argue it's not social media alone that you need to incorporate into learning, but it's social learning in and of itself, which mm-hmm. is not new to the Internet. 
social learning has nothing to do with the internet. Social learning, and Jeff, I think this is something I've learned from you over the years. Social learning goes back to the caveman times. I mean, mm -hmm. it's, it's a matter of interacting with people. Of course, social media allows us to do that, but that's not the only component to a social learning environment. So to create a truly meaningful learning experience, it becomes a social learning um, driven model. Now, one that we've been working on, and we, we've built this with um, with a client of ours, is called a virtual study group. Now, a virtual study group takes what you might think of as a, think about a webinar, for example. This is a information transfer. Oftentimes, this is what people build their online learning program around is a series of webinars. Well, we had a client say to us, well, what's what can we do to increase the value? How do we make this a more meaningful experience for our end users? And together, we developed what's called the virtual study group. Now, they had a different name for it. They actually called it a coffee house. This is the Illinois State Bar Association that mm -hmm. calls it a coffee house. And the idea is that if you think about the word coffee house and what happens in a coffee house, it's a place where people exchange ideas. So we brought three things together. We brought on-demand content, so things for people to review and study on their own, at their own leisure. We brought together a community, which allowed people to interact with each other, uh, get to know the other people studying this topic, get in discussion groups about it, read some blogs from a subject matter expert focused on this particular piece of content. And then third, we brought in live discussions live discussions that happen and they can happen online, they can happen over the telephone, they can happen with video cameras up or it could be in the form of a webinar. However you want to do that is fine, but the idea is it's a live discussion to process thoughts around what's been going on in the community and to process thoughts about what's been going on with the on-demand content. Mm -hmm. So the three components that make up a virtual study group and that is on uh, the on-demand content, the community, and the live discussion. And if you take these things and you don't think about it now as a single class or an event. You think of about it as an ongoing group, a study group. Sometimes they're limited in, in, uh, in how long they last. It might be a three-week virtual study group or it might be a three-month virtual study group. Or, for that matter, it might be an ongoing virtual study group that happens for a long period of time. Um, we've had a, a whole bunch of clients that are doing this. Some um, have made a good deal of money in terms uh, because of the value it brings to the table and pe because of the experience people are pulling out of it, they're getting a lot of attendees at a high ticket price to participate in these things. Right, right. And what, I mean, it sounds like, you know, you're providing the uh, the, the space, basically, um, where, where people can interact and, and learn from each other on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, but, but there, is, there is also an element of structure in there, so you're not just sort of throwing it out there and say, hey, go learn from each other. Um, I mean, it may not be quite as buttoned up as a, as a true curriculum, but there, there is a little bit of guidance in there, a little bit of structure to it. How, how important do you think that is to making these kinds of, you know, more community-driven learning experiences work? It's pretty darn buttoned up. I mean, it's, mm. it's, um, it, now, it, it, I think it's critical, actually. Um, and, and uh, it doesn't, you don't need to be buttoned up for there to be some learning. Right. But to have a successful virtual study group, to have a successful coffee house, or this, this experience that I just, just described, it needs to be pretty, pretty buttoned up. Mm. Uh, and I'll explain where the buttons go in a second. But, um, 
sure, you could have a community, you could have discussions, you could have a community manager, and the discussions could be going on around certain articles at certain topics. There's going to be some great learning between um, the, the members of the community, assuming that you can foster that discussion. There's some great, great community blogs out there, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we, we all know Social Fish. Fever Bee is one of my favorites. Uh, Richard uh, Millington um, from the UK writes uh, the Fever Bee blog, and I just think that is a fantastic blog on how to manage communities and mm-hmm. get them interactive. Um, so let me talk for a second about how how you bundle up a virtual study group to make it pretty um, a pretty strict curriculum. Number one, you have a subject matter expert. That's somebody that is essentially in charge of facilitating the content. Right. Now, notice I use the word facilitating. They're, they're not necessarily um, lecturing or preaching the content, but they're initiating the discussion and facilitating the discussion. And so it might start out with some sort of course prep where the, the, the members start to get to know each other. You have the subject matter expert that's starting to throw some ticklers out there. Hey, read this article. Get people talking about it. Get people uh, interacting with each other's personal profiles and whether it's Facebook or some other thing. But all this is happening within your tight-knit community. And then, sure, you can send them off to their Facebook and their LinkedIn accounts with each other. It's just a way for people to get to know each other more. But all this happens within a, a specific community, whether you're using HireLogic, which is who we've built our virtual study groups with, or whether you're using MemberFuse, uh, who I know we, we've integrated on uh, with some of our clients, or, or Golightly, or whether you have a private community that you use. Even if you use LinkedIn or Facebook for your association community, there's ways where you can do this all by yourself. You, there, there's no magic to what we do here at Peach to deliver this. We just come with a lot of great tools and a lot of the facilitation of the services to help deliver this. So going back to the, the how we button it up, you have this course prep where you have the subject matter expert get, get everybody into the mood to start to discuss this thing. Then you might have a weekly schedule where every week you have a day when the subject matter experts rolls out new content for people to study, view, read, maybe videos, it may be articles. New content is released, let's just say, on Monday. On Tuesday, uh, you may have uh, uh, people submitting uh, their feedback to some of the articles that they've read. On Wednesday, there may be a chat discussion group, just an online chat. We've seen some people do that, and other people choose not to do that. On Thursday, there may actually be a live discussion. So the Thursday may be the discussion where people come in the video conference or in the uh, in the webinar or simply just on the telephone. They have a long discussion about the content they've been reading. So this may be 60, 90 minutes. Rarely would it go over 90 minutes, but they may have, it, it, all of this is facilitated by the subject matter expert. And then Friday, depending on the nature of the course, there might be a quiz on a Friday mm-hmm. to, to see where people stand and what they've absorbed. And then it continues on the next week. Now you could do this in cycles of weeks or every two weeks or every month and so on. So that's, that it, it absolutely needs to be bundled up. Now, you can also associate credits with this thing. You can associate um, um, uh, uh, certificates. Um, this is as good as a, as, a, as a webinar or a course when it comes to online learning, but it's a much more meaningful experience for the end user. Right, right. And, and how much, I mean, one of my you know, sort of working theories around these types of community is that... Uh, 
you know, you can put them up, you can add some, some, some good structure into them, which I think, you know, if you've got the structure there, you may be able to, to, to drive a good learning experience kind of no matter what. Um, but I have seen ones do really, really well where, you know, the, the structure is there, but it's very loosely facilitated. There's, you know, uh, items for people to work through, but basically the people who are showing up for it have a, you know, very definite sense of purpose and or a sense of passion about whatever they're learning about. And, and they're, they're willing to be, you know, pretty self-directed and just dive in and, and, and start making it happen in these communities. I mean, what, how do you feel the role of, of purpose and passion factor into making this kind of, you know, more social, more collaborative learning uh, happen? So I, I have a couple thoughts on that. One is it's the sum element of that is critical to uh, for for there to be a meaningful learning experience or an environment that fosters a meaningful learning experience. Mm. At the end of the day, the reality is not everybody is going to come to these sessions all fired up and incredibly passionate about right. the topic. And even if you can get people that are all fired up and passionate about the topic it's unlikely they're going to come to every session all fired up and passionate about it. Mm-hmm. So um, the question is, how do you maintain a certain level of passion around the learning experience? The way I've seen communities um, work is that they have a what I call a brain trust or a group of highly involved and engaged and passionate leaders in the industry that are constantly pinging the community. And then I think we've all heard the, I don't know the specific numbers, but I think we've all heard the discussions about how communities have maybe 5% of the community is actually passionately involved in the community. And then something like 80%, again, these are just, I'm just making these numbers up, but something like 80% of the community are simply lurkers. Right. And it's really about 15% of the community or so that's actually a little bit involved. But um, I think the same is true for online learning. You're going to get those people that are highly engaged, highly involved. The trick is to create an environment so it's easy to get the other 15% and maybe even some of that 80% more involved than they would be mm-hmm. simply watching a webinar. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, related uh, to that question, I think, and sort of going down the, the, the home stretch here, I mean, you know, once you've got people into a community, that's one thing, or into any learning experience, um, uh, you've kind of achieved at least part of your goal. But then there's the the whole lead up, the, you know, the, the building of relationships, the building of uh, an audience, the the, the marketing basically the, to make it happen. And you know, one of, particularly in the world of you know webinars and webcasts, uh, the, the the bane of every association's existence, I think at this point, is all the free stuff that's out there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and free is seen, you know, on on the one hand as negative, and, and in some ways it is. But on the other hand, I think there's a I, I think you know there's a very positive role that free plays in helping you to cultivate an audience, uh, find the people who have that sense of purpose and passion, and, 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 and build a relationship that's ultimately going to bring them into your learning experiences. I mean, what's your what's your perspective at this point on? I mean, whether it is a webinar or webcast, or whether it's some other variety of, of free content that's out there, how important do you see that as uh, a, a, a marketing and a relationship building tool for learning businesses? Are you referencing of the freemium model? Well, it, I mean, it is could that be, your idea is that some it, of it's free, and and then you draw the people in for the deeper experience. It could potentially be a freemium model, but also just this whole idea, I guess, of you know content marketing. 
you know, that you're maybe putting out some podcasts, putting out some white papers, blogging, doing mm-hmm. things that demonstrate your value, you know, before you ever ask anybody to pay anything. And then, and then maybe they're, you know, joining something that turns into a freemium, freemium model, or maybe they're just, they've just gotten a lot of great value from you and they see that now you've got this virtual study group and they say, hey, these people know what they're doing, I'm going to sign up. So that, that's interesting because business like mine and yours, we've been using content marketing um, for yeah forever. I, I mean, it's it. You look at you look at profit based businesses, uh, whether it's in consumer goods, which is where my background is, or or in technology or wherever. I mean, these guys don't sell webinars on the, the educational. Look at the pharmaceutical market; mm-hmm. uh, it's all content marketing for them. Um, so it's second nature to us, and it becomes a, a, a must-have. It's no longer even a dif- differentiator. You, you have to be contributing um, educational information to the market without a strong sales pitch, and that's what builds your brand. Mm-hmm. That's what gets the word out, and that's what drives new people to your content. So, yeah, I think what you're suggesting is, well, why why shouldn't associations consider that same model to drive new faces to their premium content? Um, and, you don't and see I a lot of it, or, it, or at least I, I don't see a lot of it. Um, uh, yeah, I, and I, I don't know exactly why, but I wonder if it's a mentality. I mean, I think mm. we've all we've all heard the um, the the conversations around uh, how how association executives need to think more like businesses. In fact, here's something I find interesting. I'd be curious in your thought of, thoughts on this, but I've been seeing a lot more. CEO titles in associations uh, recently than executive directors. You know, and I have it's too. My, That's interesting. Yeah, it's my hunch that that associations are recognizing that there's lots of lessons to be learned from profit-based businesses. Mm-hmm. So this may just be one of those lessons that takes time to learn. Mm-hmm. Well, it'd be inter- interesting to see how that evolves. Well, you know, I, I appreciate you taking the the, the time to, to talk today. Um, I guess before we leave, you know, you and I work in this world where people are either trying to, to launch or grow education businesses, whether they are an association or a training firm or a, uh, we, we talked before we got on the phone about, you know, consultants and subject matter experts, you know, realizing this is an opportunity now. If, if you were, you know, to leave Peach New Media, hang out your shingle tomorrow and say, I'm going to start, you know, an education business, a training business, what, what, what do you think the first thing you would do to, to ensure your success would be? So, Jeff, for me, I, I would uh, th- this gentleman named Simon Sinek, who mm-hmm. uh, are you familiar with Simon? He I wrote am. The He's book, a fascinating start, speaker, yeah, and writer. Yeah. Start start with why. I mean, he, I've really only heard one message out of him, but it doesn't matter because that message is awesome. Mm-hmm. And his, the, the philosophy is start with why. And what he suggests is that too many people think about what they sell and how they do it. Not enough people ask why they do it. Mm. And so, for me, what we did here at Peach is the very first thing we identified is why the heck do we get up in the morning? What are, what are we doing with our lives? <laughs> and it, to me, that's the question a lot of people need to ask themselves is, why do we do this? You don't do it for the money. Mm. I guarantee it. And, it. and those that do it for the money... Oftentimes, they're not going to be around quite as long as those people that do it because of their passion for something in particular. So the very first thing I would do um, if I were to ditch Peach Media and start from scratch, and quite frankly, it's exactly what we did here at Peach, is we said, 
what are we passionate about? Mm-hmm. What do we want to do? Why are we doing this? I used the wrong word when I said what, but it really is what are we passionate about and why are we doing what we do? Yeah, yeah. Well, I think those are uh, great words to end on uh, there. Well, th- thanks so much, Dave. It's, it's always a, a pleasure talking to you about these topics that I know we both uh, are so immersed in and, and, and care so much about. So thanks for taking the time. Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. That wraps up my interview with Dave Will of Peach New Media. If you enjoyed it, I would encourage you to go to iTunes and please give Learning Revolution a brief review. Uh, If you are in the business of lifelong learning, continuing education, or professional development, or if you want to be in that business, if you are an individual subject matter expert, a trainer, uh, if you represent a trade or professional association, or a training or consulting firm, then Learning Revolution is your source for information, insights, and practical how-tos when it comes to making some money in the market for lifelong learning. So I encourage you to visit learningrevolution.net to find out more, and thanks for tuning in today. Mm -hmm.